So I'm going to read for you a story. And as I do so, if you feel comfortable, I encourage you to close your eyes. You can feel free to relax and take deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. And just be calm, listen, and imagine. You spent the night sleeping in the same room as Jesus and the disciples. Now it's early morning. The sun isn't up yet. The air is cold, and you turn over just to get some more sleep. You pull the covers up and around your neck. You feel warm and cozy. As you're about to drift back to sleep, you hear someone get up. The person leaves the room and heads towards the front door. You decide to follow and see what's going on. You now realize that you're following Jesus. But is he on his way to meet someone, to do a miracle, or to have it out with the Pharisees? You don't want to miss out. So you grab your sandals, you wrap yourself in a blanket, and you head for the front door behind him. You walk quickly at first, closing the space between you and Jesus, but not so close that he can see you. You'll move closer once Jesus begins to do whatever it is he's planning to do. But you feel your heart racing, not because you're walking fast, but because you sense that Jesus is up to something big. You think about some of his recent miracles, healing the leper, healing the blind man, healing the paralyzed man, bringing a child back to life, and multiplying the bread and the fish. You and Jesus have been walking down a dirt path, but now he cuts through a meadow and he heads towards a hill covered with olive trees. You continue to follow him. When Jesus reaches the bottom of the hill, he begins to climb. There are a great number of trees, and you soon lose sight of him. You enter the trees where you think he might be, but you're unable to find him. So you stop walking, and you just listen. You listen for the crunching of leaves, the breaking of a twig that might show where Jesus is. You hear nothing. You feel a little disappointed, but decide to keep moving forward. You continue to walk slowly up the hill while trying to be very quiet, hoping you'll hear something that will help you to figure out where Jesus is. Again, you hear nothing. You're almost ready to go back when you see something out of the corner of your eye. You move closer and you discover it's Jesus sitting in a clearing among the trees. You hear him talking and you move slowly closer to him and you use the trees to block his view of you. And when Jesus stops talking, there is silence. You freeze. You don't want him to know you're there. You strain to hear the other person's voice, but you still can't hear anything. And after a long period of silence, you finally hear a voice. But it's just Jesus speaking again. You can't make out his words. So who is he talking to? What is he talking about? You begin to inch even closer, moving as quietly as possible. 
And after Jesus finishes talking once more, there is another long period of silence. What is going on? You move even closer, and as you do, you step on a small branch. Crack! The tiny sound seems to echo loudly through the silent trees and off down the hill. Now Jesus turns towards you. You feel embarrassed, but he motions you over. So you walk towards him, and Jesus seems happy to see you, happy that you are there. And as you get to Jesus, you realize there's no one else around. Did the other person just run away when you stepped on that branch? Did you mess up Jesus' plan, what he was doing? But Jesus, seemingly knowing your thoughts, he says, I'm glad you're here. Don't worry, there was no one else around. And I was praying. And you look at Jesus and you ask him, Jesus, will you teach me to pray like John taught his disciples to pray? Father, who is in heaven, Father, your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. Give us today the bread we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. Amen. You know, sometimes it's easy to forget that these episodes that we read in the scriptures are of real people in real places with real questions. But they were. And today we'll see how this prayer, called the Lord's Prayer, is dangerous. Now I know it might not seem dangerous, but I'd like to just insert that it might be dangerous. And in fact, Derek, our new students director and faith development coordinator, just led us through some holy imagining to try and get us to see ourselves in the story. And that's what I'd like to invite you to do as we go along with this message. There'll be a couple points to interact along the way, some questions I'll ask. There's also, since it is a talk on prayer, since it is a four-week series on prayer, we have some prayer stations in the back, and you might decide that's how I need to interact with God right now, and I need to respond to him through writing or through coloring or, or just through sitting in the prayer cove, just to quietly hear God. Jesus went off in solitary places often and prayed. How many times had the disciples seen him do this? And yet this particular time was the time that after Jesus was praying in a certain place, one of the disciples asked, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, if you are a younger person, I have a question for you. If you're a younger person, as in like you're in your childhood, or you vividly remember your childhood because it was close, or you still act like a child, <clears throat> um, what is the first prayer you remember praying? Go ahead, raise your hand, and you can shout it out. What's the first prayer that you remember praying? Yeah! Anybody else? Is anyone else? That, that's their first prayer? Got a few out there? All right, I just happened to wonder if that was going to be up, so I actually have it. Now, think about this prayer. I think this is a dangerous prayer. 
Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, let's introduce the subject of death to a four-year-old right before they go to sleep, as if they already have separation anxiety. That's dangerous. We changed the words on it for our kids, but we haven't done much else right. You didn't do that one? Yeah, that's bad. Sorry, if that's what you learned, God can use it. Any other first prayers that people learned? First prayers you remember learning as a child? Amen, right? Yeah, and if you, anybody else, that was their first prayer? Yeah? You could do the Superman prayer too. Thank you, Lord, for giving us food. Thank you, Lord. No, I don't sing. Anybody else have a table prayer as their first prayer? That's the first prayer they remember praying. What was yours? Which we're about to receive. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, have, I don't know the TikTok one. All right. Thanks, Ian. TikTok, TikTok. Thank Lord. That's good. That's good. I thought maybe a table prayer might be the next prayer, so... I put one up, um, you know, this is often in someone's house. It says, you know, uh, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let these gifts to us be blessed. Did anyone learn a variety of this one as their first prayer? Now, I would also say that this is a dangerous prayer. You might not think so, but, you know, if you pray this, imagine you're praying this with some special family or friends around a table and the doorbell rings as you're about to receive this food. Uh, what often happens? Well, I just happen to have a picture of what that might look like. Nice front door. I don't know if you could see the little sign just to the right or just to the left that says no soliciting. How many of you answer the door when you are sitting down? It could be Jesus. You just prayed it. It could be an angel, someone coming, sent by Jesus to eat with you. But see, in the United States, we, we really value our no soliciting signs. Go ahead and Google it later. You will find thousands of no soliciting signs. We like our privacy. Well, in Jesus' day, remember, they're in an arid culture, so it's desert, it's harsh. There's no Motel 6s. They don't leave the line on for you. And there's no restaurants. There's no Denny's. There's, which is, never mind. Anyway, when you come to a place and it's dark and there's bandits or, or thieves, you can go up to anyone's home. And if you knock on that door, it is part of their honor and shame culture. It is part of the culture that even if they're your enemy, you will, you will welcome them into your home. You will let them eat your food. You will give them a place to sleep. And you will send them on your way even if the next day you might go to war with them, this is what you do. So important for this story and for what we read. So, as we look at these dangerous prayers, um, it, you know, I, I threw out that maybe those prayers didn't come across as dangerous, like we didn't see them as dangerous, because I think they're familiar. And we have a tendency to uh, confuse what we're afraid of and what is actually dangerous. 
Okay, as, as humans, we do this, especially as Americans. For example, did you know that about one American every year dies from a shark attack? And one American every day dies from a bathtub accident. So therefore, bathtubs should be 365 times more scary than sharks. <laughs> but you don't see National Discovery doing like tub week. I'm just saying, you can go look on my Facebook page. I actually put up a tub week picture just to see if you guys would respond. We confuse danger and fear. And one is mysterious and powerful, sharks, and the other is familiar and routine. And the challenge for you and I will be, during this four-week series, it will be very tempting to nod along or just fill in a sheet and say, yep, yep, I can learn a little bit about prayer. And keep praying safe prayers like, Lord, bless me. Lord, keep me safe. Lord, send someone else to help. But I will challenge you to pray dangerous prayers. Teach me. Search me. Remake me. Send me. And these have the power to change your life, to transform your faith, to change your family, to see your world transformed if you pray them. They are dangerous. So let's look at the mystery and the power of Luke 11. So Jesus shares this. It's often called the Lord's Prayer, but it's a dangerous prayer because of the challenges it makes to the way we think and the way we live. First of all, it changes our view of God. Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He, he could have addressed God in multiple different ways. There are dozens and dozens of names for God. First of all, God starts off with the name El or Elohim. It means Lord or God. Then it uses El Shaddai, meaning God, all-powerful, almighty one. Then there's Elohim, which means God, this, this eternal one. El Gabor is this God, the rescuer, or the, the destro- not destroyer, but like the champion. Then there's El Roy, the God who sees everything. There's Adonai, the Lord. There's Jehovah. There's Yahweh, I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. And, and when we get into the Aramaic and the Greek language, there's Theos meaning God and Kyrios meaning Lord. And, and only does God get designated as Father just a few times in the Old Testament. Four times in the Psalms and four times in the book of Isaiah. And in, in these descriptions, it's God being the Father of the fatherless. It's, like a, it's a great title. It, it's abstract. Or God is the protector of the widows. And again, it's a really cool title, but I would say it's one, we're one step removed from it. Or God, the one who creates and directs and rescues the people Israel. But Jesus uses this word Abba in Aramaic for father. And it best translates into English as Papa or Dad. Now, I'm, I'm sure that no dad is perfect, and there are many dads that are absent, but let's picture, because I bet even if that's you, you can think of a good memory of a dad, even if it's not your dad. So, 
question, I think you'll be able to share better than what I could do. Describe a good dad in a phrase or a word or an action. A great dad. What's something that a great dad would be or do? Selfless. Present. Care for you. Loving. Ooh, yeah, sympathetic. Loyal. Strong. Protecting. Available. Ooh, yeah, a great dad would be available. Kind. Encouraging. Supportive. Listening. Teacher. Yeah. Man, I have so many memories of my dad saying, son, let me, let me teach you how to do this. And a, be- and a real good friend who, he doesn't go on YouTube to look up how s- to fix stuff. He calls his dad. It's a great dad. Anything else that you're dying to get in there? Patient. Patient. All of those words to me describe a dad that would be easy to be close to. I know, I know men don't really like to talk about being close, so I won't use the word intimate, but, but do you agree that those kind of descriptions, if you had a dad that was described like that, it would be easy to be close to him? That's what Papa or Dad or Abba means to Jesus. And it's not just a title that Jesus used, it's actually a title that he invites us to use with God. Because Jordan even said it, that just as the Father has loved me, I love you. It's the same relationship. And that's how we get to be invited. And it changes our view of God because we tend to think of God as this far away, powerful ruler who, who we cannot bother with our requests. He's got too much to do. And if we do, we've got to grovel and there might be a no soliciting sign. This transforms our worldview of God. It's dangerous. God says, or Jesus says, you can say, Abba, holy is your name. May your name and all that it represents be kept sacred in my life and in our world. I will seek to live in conscious thought. I will seek to think about you throughout my day, throughout my life. Jesus ends this section where he teaches this prayer with this question. You know, if, if dads who are evil know how to give good gifts to their kids, then how much more will God want to give good gifts, as in the Holy Spirit, to you? So I'm 17 years old. I have been working my tail off to to get a car. Actually, that's not true. I have been working my tail off to be busy so that my parents will buy me a car. And so I've got three sports, I've got a job, I've got friends, I've got a girlfriend, I'm, I'm trying to convince, I'm using the mom's van to drive my sister to practice mostly, and I've, I've been working my way up, I've been adding these little comments, and so I'm, I'm hoping that for my 17th birthday, 
that there will be a car that will come. It doesn't have to be a fast car. It doesn't have to be a new car. It's just a, a car, my car. And my parents take me out to the one kind of fancy restaurant in our little town, and my dad starts telling me about how, you know, they've noticed my grades, they've noticed my responsibility, and, you know, they were able to find a vehicle that they think I would like. And as my eyes get big, he tosses some keys across the table. And I can see the shiny little GM with the, remember the square and the circle, two keys, like the trunk and the, the starter one, you know, those old ones that, yeah. And, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's not that new, but, but it's coming across the table. And I'm like, GM, Camaro Corvette, Camaro Corvette, Camaro Corvette, yes. And, and he's like, well, I think you're going to like it. I couldn't get it in red, but there is this yellow Corvette that's about to come your way. And I'm like, what? And then he rolls a matchbox car across the table. Hook line sinker. Like, oh, dad, that was awesome. I'm totally going to use that on my kids. <laughs> Maybe later. This is the kind of relationship that the God of the universe who creates everything wants to have with us. Good gifts, loving, joyful, accessible, close. He challenges our view of him, but he also challenges how we see ourselves. He challenges our view of ourselves. If you're a note taker, it would be this prayer is dangerous because it changes our view of God and it changes our view of ourself. Luke 11 says, after Jesus prays this and lead us not into temptation, he says, suppose one of you has a friend who who you go to at midnight and say, friend, I have someone who's come from a journey from a long way and I don't have any food to give them. I need three loaves from you. Just think like breakfast, maybe lunch, and maybe also supper. I need, I need at least two meals, maybe three meals for you to give me because I have nothing to give them. And I can't, I can't go back and say, sorry, I don't have anything. Like I would be dishonored. So I'm knocking at your door at midnight so that you can help me out so that I'm not shamed. And he says to you, don't bother me. I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. We're asleep. Everything's put away. Leave me alone. That's the story Jesus tells, which should have you going, I don't get it. What? But Jesus says, I tell you that even though he will not get up and give you anything or give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So, okay, again, young people or people who think like young people, who's rude in this story? Do you think that there's any rude people in this story? No? No rude? Yes, yes, there's rude people. Who's rude in this story? The person coming to the door at midnight, right? Like, I'm in bed. I used to not be. That was like the nights in diapers, but now, oh my gosh, I'm tired. I want to be in bed. Like, that's rude to come over at that time. Okay? Is the other guy in the story rude? Right, Logan? I don't know. What do you think? 
hey, I need some food, and you say no. Remember, there's not a grocery store, there's not a quick trip, and you just totally, now I'm going to be dishonored because I'm going to go home and not be able to give him anything. I would, I would say that that person's rude too. So maybe we have two rude people in this story, but as I thought about this, as I prayed about this, because it was actually quite hard to do, I felt like God was saying, the Lord, you know, some of us are Christ followers, and we have spiritual food that we don't want to share because the person who's asking asked at the wrong time or in the wrong way. And they're hungry, and we're not sharing. There are others of you that maybe aren't quite following Christ at that same place, but you're here and you're hungry and you think it's rude to ask for the food so you don't. And either you or someone you care about needs that food. You're invited to ask. This isn't about being rude. This isn't about holding back. In fact, this is the... There's not very many times that translations mislead us. This, unfortunately, is one of the times that it happens. And it happens in five different translations. But Jesus says to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight, which makes us think all in conjecture. And Jesus wasn't doing that. The, the three kind of parts of the story, Jesus says the prayer, Jesus gives this example of this parable or this story, and then he gives a little bit more description, and then he talks about fathers giving good gifts. And in this moment, what he's actually saying is, who of you has a friend that you will go to at midnight and ask for food, and they'll say no? Remember the culture, okay? Remember the culture of the day where it is dishonorable if someone comes to your door to not give them food, to not give them shelter. And so Jesus is saying, who of you has a friend who you would go to at midnight and ask for food. Why would you do that? Because you're desperate. You don't have anything. You're going to dishonor the person who's come. So you go to your friend. The point is, and the answer is, that the, all the disciples would say, I don't know one. I don't have a friend who would do that. And Jesus is trying exactly. That's his contrast point. No one has a friend who would do that. We might have a friend who would do that because we love our no soliciting signs. Some of them said, unless you're selling Thin Mints. <laughs> but in Jesus' day, who of you has a friend who, if you had to go to them at midnight and ask for three loaves of bread, would say, don't bother me? No one. No one, Jesus. Exactly. I tell you that that person though he won't give you the bread out of friendship, will give you out of shameless audacity. The sheer rudeness of your request, the person will give it. Now, some of it translates persistence, and that would mean, like, we have to go up to the door, and we have to knock, and it says, keep on knocking, and keep on seeking, and, and then maybe, maybe, Jesus, maybe God will answer the door. Really? Because the God that I know does not operate that way. That's how the pagan gods operate, that you have to go back to them over and over and over and beg and hope, and I wonder if, did I do enough? Now, there are times that Jesus says persistence in prayer is important. 
I would submit to you that this is not one of those times. Who of you has a friend who would do that? No one, Jesus, exactly. But simply because you asked. Even though it was a little bit of a rude request, simply because you asked, he will give it. And the contrast is, is God asleep and crabby? No, God isn't asleep or crabby. And is he, is he like a bothersome friend? Or, again, transform how we see ourselves. Do you think you are a bothersome friend when you ask God for help? Jesus would say, you're not. So if you see yourself not praying because I don't want to bother God, I'm not sure if he likes me enough or if we're close enough or if I've been good enough. Jesus is confronting that viewpoint in a very loving way today in your life. He was doing it in my life all week. God never sleeps or slumbers. He's always ready to help, always willing to help. Again, the contrast is he's that good father who gives way better gifts than a matchbox car across the table, which almost makes it get to this point of, well, then it doesn't seem to make sense because because then he talks about scorpions and snakes. So he challenges our view of our God then he challenges our view of ourself, and then he challenges our view of the world. That's why this is a dangerous prayer. After Jesus tells this story, the last part of his prayer is, give us this day or each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. See, Jesus He challenges us to ask our dad in heaven for what we really need and what we really need to stay away from. And that's a courageous prayer. Because remember, as humans, we don't know the difference between what is fearful and what is dangerous. And we need to ask God to lead us not into temptation. Because we are always challenged to minimize the supernatural powers of good or the powers of evil. Maybe it's to sound sophisticated. Maybe it's to sound normal because the rest of the world doesn't want to think like that except for maybe a few days around Halloween. But there is a spiritual battle in this world. There is a God who is unseen. There are angels that are created that live in this world that that heaven and earth really aren't that far apart, and there are dark forces at work who try and lead us to death, not life. And Jesus is saying, when you pray this prayer, especially this part, you're asking for what you really need, you are admitting that you can't do it on your own, that you are a sinner, and that you need your heart to remain open to give forgiveness so that you can also receive forgiveness and that you are human and you will lead yourself to places of testing or trouble or trial. Lead us not to temptation. It's not a coward who prays, God, keep me away from these things. It's actually a courageous person. But 
I'm a little bit confused on why he says snakes and scorpions. Like, not only are they kind of slithery and creepy, they're also dangerous. Like, there are two creatures that can poison people. And as I thought about that, remember one chapter before this, in Luke 10, Jesus sends out the undrafted ones. Jordan just talked about them. The 72, the people that weren't picked to be the 12, the people that weren't picked to be other people's rabbis. And he sends them out and they come back saying, oh my gosh, it was amazing to be used by you, God. It was amazing to have your spirit in us, Jesus. You know, even the demons obeyed us when we, when we used your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I tell you that you will be able to have power over the enemy. And you, I have given you the authority to trample on, here's the words again, snakes and scorpions, to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing can harm you. However, do not rejoice in the spirit, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Think about that. God wants to, us to live our lives in victory. Even if we lose a battle, Jesus has already won the war. He's already conquered and will conquer once again. So even though we might not get to see it on this side of heaven, one day God's restoration plan is still coming into effect that started at Jesus' resurrection and is coming in the future. So if you get defeated, then wake up the next day and keep fighting because Jesus has won the whole thing and the battle every day is just part of life. There are temptations, distractions, and attacks. You need to learn the difference and you need to just recognize that those are going to happen. As my wife says sometimes to me in a very loving way, suck it up. (laughs) Jesus isn't exactly saying that, but he is kind of saying, I've given you the authority so that nothing can harm you. Nothing from this evil, supernatural world. All you have to do is speak the name of Jesus and the demons are afraid. All you have to do is tell Satan to get away from you and James says, resist Satan and he will flee from you. But when we have temptation, it doesn't say resist temptation. It says run from temptation because we're weak. This is what we pray. This will change our view of the world if we pray it. That's why it's so darn dangerous but it marks some of the highest courage for you to know the difference between fear and danger. And it marks simple trust for you to believe that you have every resource you need as one of God's kids. In a moment, we're gonna have communion. And before we go to communion, I just wanna challenge you. Jesus went off to certain places and prayed. And every time we do that, we find him in silence and solitude. Where is there silence and solitude in your life? I'm not trying to shame anyone, not trying to make anyone feel guilty, but as we go to communion, this is the good, good father who longs to be with you and give you good gifts and help you. Where is there silence and solitude in your life? can you find 15 minutes this week to sit with God?
to remind yourself and tell him how you see him, how you see yourself, and how you see the world. You have every resource you need if you believe in Jesus. You have a savior who has won the ultimate war. You have believers, you have Jesus' church around you to stand with you, to encourage you. You have the spirit of God to overpower the enemy and to live in victory. And you have the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the one battle plan. And you can live in those things every day if we see it. We choose to see. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. I pray that, God, as we move into this moment of communion and in responding to your word and to your truth of who you are, that, that we could just even take this, these few minutes right now before we move into our week, God, that we could just stay and hear you. Hear that you love us, that you love us like you love Jesus in the same way that we would hear that you are here to help us, that we're not a bother to you, that you're not asleep and grouchy, but you are a present friend, a good, good father. I pray that you would speak to us in the ways that we need to hear, that we'd confess to you if we've never said it, Lord, you are Lord, you are Savior Jesus. I trust you. And that we'd worship you today as our good Father. Amen.